Thank you. You may be just uh, seated. <laughs> Don't go anywhere. We're just getting started. Uh, if you have your Bibles, I would invite you this morning to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And we will be back in verses 18 through 31. Uh, if you were here last week, uh, this might seem like a familiar text because it was the text that we were actually in last week. Uh, and typically, when Paul Joyner asks you to preach the same exact text he preached the week before, uh, someone's answer should always be no. <laughs> but he wanted me to preach this text to highlight uh, the folly of preaching, so I guess it, uh, it works. It works. Uh, the Corinthians, as we've seen, are a church with a massive pride problem. They have deep issues with arrogance, with hatred, with self-exaltation. In so many ways, the Corinthian church is paralleling and, and, and displaying the same realities that are occurring within the church today, specifically in America. We have a pride problem, too. Our pride problem uh, is regularly, especially in the church, curiously enough, is our, our issue with pragmatism. What will we do to market our brand, whatever works? That's what we'll do. How is it that we can take something as glorious and beautiful and lovely as the bride of Christ and market her for consumption? How is it even that we market ourselves for consumption in a means of exalting ourselves above others? It's very interesting that the text that we look at today God has a very strange way of fixing the pride problem in his people. He fixes it by what he'll call the foolishness of preaching. We're about to take up and read, but before we do, let us ask for the Holy Spirit's help in prayer. Oh, gracious Lord, your people come now to do something that seems so counterintuitive. To hear an ancient message about a crucified king. And so, Lord, we come now with hearts eager to hear of our risen Lord. With eyes longing to see his glory. With ears yearning to hear the joyous cries of our Father, welcome home, my child. So, Lord, give us now eyes to see, ears to hear, and hearts to know your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hear now the living word of the living God. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. 
For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For consider your calling, brothers. Do not many of you were wise according to worldly standards? Not many were powerful, not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. That is the inerrant, infallible, and inspired word of God. May he add his blessing to the reading of it. So where we turn now, what I want to highlight specifically today it is to show how, especially here with Paul, that central to Christ's church is the preached word. And that is deeply counterintuitive. First, let's look at why preaching. Why preaching? Verse 18. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Doesn't it seem so strange that the way that God feeds his sheep is through the preaching of his word? We, we're a people who gather together regularly and open up a book and say, this is the word of the Lord. How very odd. Yet, God in his providential hand has established that this word is always effective. In fact, Paul here is likely thinking back to Isaiah 55, uh, 10 through 11, that the word of God never returns void. And he even brings up this reality. This is how the word of the cross, the gospel itself, the preaching of God is. To those who are perishing, it's folly. It's foolishness. It makes no sense. 
And in one sense, if we put ourselves in the shoes of the world, they look at us like we're crazy, and maybe they're not uh, completely off base for that. We gather together with people from all different spheres and all different walks, and likewise people from every tribe, tongue, and nation, gathering together with people who honestly have absolutely no business together, And we gather to commemorate a first century Jewish carpenter rabbi who was uh, given capital punishment and crucified. And we do so by recounting and reading a book that, uh, even in its most recent of documents, was written 2,000 years ago, which we think has ultimate authority even to establish our lives and our ethics and transform us and our eternity. By the standard of the world, that's crazy. That's insane. Why would anyone gather here to read an ancient document and think it's going to transform your life? Why would anyone come here and hear the preaching of Jesus saying, lay down your life for others. Take up your cross and follow me. Pick up your instrument of torture and die to yourself. That's absurd in the eyes of the world. We're called to to give up lives that we could push for power we're called to give up uh, oftentimes what the world will say is success in order to follow this crucified rabbi. In the eyes of the world, that's folly. That's foolishness. That's absurd. But Paul doesn't finish there. He says that, big contrast here, but to those who are being saved... It's the power of God. The same words, the same message being preached by the same person. To one, it's utter foolishness. And to the other, it's the very power of God. That in that moment, what seems like being uh, absolute foolishness to some, that God in that moment is speaking. And isn't it interesting how Paul here is actually contrasting folly or foolishness, not so much with wisdom, but with power? How is it that God has chosen to display his power for all the world? By using fallible jars of clay to preach an infallible word. That's how he displays his power. That through this message, People come to newness of life. Hearts are transformed. And and not only is this true here, but even as we run down through church history, it's very prominent. The great uh, Anglican Bishop J.C. Ryle from the Victorian era was a student uh, and and didn't grow up in a Christian household uh, at all and found himself in the college chapel one day, and it just so happened that Ephesians chapter 2 was being read. And there he heard a very uneloquent, very unpowerful, unmotivating sermon, simply the text being read and a few short words to explain it. 
And he said, my life forever changed. The great prince of preachers, Charles Spurgeon, was caught one night in a blizzard and just wanted to get out of the cold. So he stepped into this old, rickety, primitive Methodist church by some uneducated, itinerant preacher. And there, with no eloquence whatsoever, heard the word of God preached and the course of history changed because his life was set ablaze for Christ. To some, this preached word is at best foolishness and at worst completely infuriating. And to others, this same preached word, what happens? Scales fall from their eyes. Their ears are unstopped. Their hearts are set ablaze for God. And the curtain of this grayscale world is ripped down. And they see the smiling face of their Savior. And they hear the cry of their Father, my child. And they're welcomed to the table by the Holy Spirit. Same word. Same sermon, two very different reactions. The question for us today, as we sit under the preached word now, is which are you? Are you angered by the word of God? Pray that your heart be transformed. Are you cold and apathetic in this moment? Pray that the Holy Spirit would ablaze your heart for the things of God? Are you thrilled to see Jesus in all of his glory through his word this day? Rejoice and pray that you would see him all the more. But now, let's also look to the content of preaching. Paul will continue on uh, as he as he looks, and, and it's interesting how, how he recognizes that even in the grand scheme of the world, whether it be Jews or Gentiles, all are longing for a sermon. But it's interesting how he says we're seeking sermons from God, uh, but very different sermons themselves. He'll say this, verse 22, for the Jews demand signs and the Greeks seek wisdom but we preach Christ crucified. Isn't that interesting? That here are these two vastly different groups longing uh, for a sermon, something from God, and yet, what do we get? Christ crucified. The Jews demand a sign. We will not believe until we see something. We'll believe in Jesus if you do something cool. Come down from the cross if you're actually the king. Greeks seek wisdom. We want to capture this power of God called wisdom and leverage it so that we can use it. What does our culture long for? Unqualified affirmation, ungoverned authority. You have no right to tell me who I am and what I'll be and where I can go and what I can do. Just tell me that I'm good and perfect and whole. Yep, what 
sermon does God give us instead? Christ crucified. This is a stumbling block to Jews and utter foolishness to Gentiles. The Jews say, the Messiah doesn't come to die, the Messiah comes to kill. The Messiah comes in riding on a chariot to chase our enemies out and set up his kingdom. He doesn't come to die. The Gentiles say, God cannot be weak. God cannot be subjected to shame. But he's he's the one who's exalted. He's the powerful one. The American says, God does not simply come to to do the will of others. That's not what God does. He doesn't pray thy will be done. He doesn't give power or give himself. He takes. That's what we do. Yet what do we get with Christ and him crucified? One who did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but humbled himself by taking the form of a servant and being crucified. He was stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted like a sheep before it shares or a lamb led to slaughter. He did not open his mouth, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Why? So that by his wounds we've been healed. What do we get? We get Christ crucified. What a strange message. Yet, it's that message. This is the power of God. That by the crucified Savior, we who were far off are brought near. And we who were not his people are now his people. And we who were utterly unlovable are loved. In the fullest sense of the word, behold the love of God in crucified Christ. And it's interesting, Christ is the very center of this message. What the world calls a foolish message. But the core of the Christian message is Christ crucified. Everything is connected to this. John Piper will put it this way. All exaltation in anything else should be exaltation in the cross. If the hope of glory, then the cross of Christ. If in tribulation, tribulation works to hope, and hope is in the cross of Christ. If weakness, then in the cross of Christ. Every sermon that offers anything good for the Christian must exalt in the cross of Christ. That is the power of God. A crucified and risen Lord. Something that seems so weak and so pitiful to watch somebody be beaten and mocked and scorned and 
publicly shamed and to die this horrendous death. Yet that is the glorious power of God. But there's a result that comes to this. It's through this message that the power of God is displayed. Why and how? In this way. Verse 30. Because of him, you are in Christ. Isn't that incredible? He, he, Paul begins this whole section by saying, God chose what is low and despised in the world. You're not noble. You're not powerful. There's nothing about you that is, is glorious in and of itself. But here's the beauty and the power of God. You are in Christ. How did it happen? Through the preaching of God's word. Paul picks this up uh, once more in Romans 10, 14 through 17. How will they know on him if they have not believed? And how will they believe unless they've heard? And how will they hear unless someone preaches? Why would God use this way? Why is preaching central to the power of God being displayed? Because he takes fallible men with an infallible word and an infallible spirit to transform hearts. He takes from us wisdom, our wisdom, our power, all boasting that could possibly stand before God and say, I did this, O Lord. And he does this mighty work through words. As the creation is brought into existence by the powerful words of God, so too a transformed heart, new creation, Paul will say. He brings this so that we stand before him, verse 29, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. This message that he carries to us, that transforms our hearts and our lives. We have nothing to boast in except for Christ and him crucified. Which is the precise response that he gives us in verse 31. So as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Brothers and sisters, you sit here and Christ has fed you this day, rejoice. Rejoice that he has spoken. Rejoice that he has accomplished his work. Rejoice that you are united to Christ and redeemed and declared righteous. Pray that you would hear him all the more. That your souls would be fed every Lord's day that your hearts would be prepared to hear God's voice week after week, year after year. If you have not heard his voice today, pray that God would enliven your heart, that he would draw you near, that he would unite you to Christ, and that you would see the glory and the beauty and the majesty of the power of God by Christ crucified. Let us close with a word of prayer.
O Christ, our King, we have no boast other than you. We have no power, we have no wisdom, except through your perfect, accomplished work. And so, Lord, by the Spirit, speak to your people now. Feed our souls, O God. Let us come to this table now that we would not only hear the gospel itself, but we would see and taste and touch it and know that you are the God who draws near to his people, the great high priest who draws us near to himself. Let us come boldly before your throne. But we do pray, O Lord, for those whose hearts are not transformed, who in fact leave hardened this day. You and you alone, O Lord, are sufficient to do the transforming work by this, this work of preaching. Make your words powerful to your people. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.